This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. We're going to get started with our part four of of the seminar called Addicted and Immersed. But before we do that, I want to do two things with you this afternoon before we start with the audio recording. Um, first of all, I'm going to have my friend Chad ha- have, a, have a testimony up here. Chad's friend BJ is going to share with you something. And it's the perfect transition point from the previous seminar to this one. Because the last one, what was the topic last time? Music. And there's, a, there's a, a testimony there. So you'll hear that. We're also in this session talking about addiction. And there's a perfect... Perfect connection there with the testimony you're going to hear. So I'm very excited for you to hear that. That'll be just the first few minutes, and then we will get into the topic of addiction and video gaming. Uh, By the way, if you're not a gamer, if you don't know any gamer that's addicted, it will still apply because you'll understand how the brain works. So stick with us for this session. Uh, Oh, one more point of uh, business before we get started as well. I've been getting this question over and over and over again. Please spread the word on this for folks who are not in here. Because uh, I've said it a few times in the sessions, but I know that people have been coming in and out, and I don't think everybody has heard. So please tell folks that everything that I am sharing with you today in all of our sessions is on the DVDs that we have available at our booth, uh, Belt of Truth Ministries. You'll see media on the brain right there, and just come by during exhibit hours, pick up those DVDs, and you'll get everything that you missed. Has anybody been with us for all three sessions? All right, a few. All right, not that many though. So those who have not, who've missed some, get the DVDs. And those who've seen it all, get it and share this material. That's why we produce material, is to get it out there to people we are not speaking to. I love hearing the stories of, hey, my brother-in-law watched your videos and he made a decision to give up his video game and he's reading his Bible more. And I, these things just like lift me into the air. I just love hearing that kind of thing. So please get the videos and share them. I think that's it in terms of uh, business items. So I'm going to give the floor over to Chad to start, and then I'll take the session uh, for session four to talk about gaming. Well, I'm just going to begin with a word of prayer for our next message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have, uh, you have blessings within your word, but you also have the truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into that. Guide us into all truth in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be sharing with you just for a moment about, uh, actually, he's going to be sharing, my friend BJ here. Uh, just to give you a little background, my name is Chad Cruiser. Um, your, is your mic off, Scott? Yours is, okay. Uh, just so you know, and maybe you could turn down just a little bit there, bro. Just, just so you know, I, we have a ministry, my wife and I, called Anchor Point Films. We make documentaries. We go around to archaeologists, theologians, scholars, and we make documentaries that look similar to Discovery Channel or History Channel, but instead of being skeptical, give a reason to believe in the Bible, to believe in Jesus, and the Adventist message. And these are going all over the world. People are sharing them, finding it very easy to share, to witness with people. Media can be used for God's purposes. Amen? God can use it for His purposes and to share the message of truth with people. So it's not that all media is bad. It's that we want to make sure, number one, that we're not getting everything from a media source, meaning as far as television. Uh, we, we want to make sure that we also are just spending time learning, you know, reading and so forth. You can call that media also. But we need some of the simpler things. But I want to let you know, we are producing a documentary right now 
uh, on the, the health message. You may have seen some of the things out there, Fast Sick and Nearly Dead or Forks Over Knives. We had started this one before any of these things came out, but we got busy and we worked on other ones and finished those first. We are working on one right now on showing the longest living people in the world, mixing in archaeology, history, showing what happens if you go and you begin to put these principles into action into your own life, revealing the Adventist health message. And one of the people that is a part of that documentary is my friend BJ here. And B before I tell you any more, BJ, tell us a little bit about your personal past, uh, what, what you used to be into, your profession. All right, my name is BJ. I'm originally from Hawaii. And back home in Hawaii, my profession was, I was a reggae artist. I did reggae music for about close to 10 years professionally and singing kind of all over the place. Now, um, I'm guessing that's a real healthy lifestyle, probably, being in a reggae band. Can you tell us a little bit about those health principles you lived out? Sorry. I was a drug addict, yeah. an alcoholic, and I ate whatever didn't eat me first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what did that do to your health? Well, um, being in that lifestyle, it just, my life went downhill. I got really overweight, um, and I was very depressed. And I've cured many um, forms of diseases like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity. I had gout. So just many different other things as well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I found a little more. Am I on? Yeah, okay, you can hear me. Um, the, gout is obviously a very painful thing, like, you know, in his feet. I remember when he first came, he was struggling with all kinds of pain with that. Uh, but one of the things we're doing is we're making a documentary with different health professionals uh, from all over the place showing how if you begin to live these eight laws of health, these biblical principles of health, not only does it make the longest living people on the planet today, but it can change your lifestyle for the better, give you a healthier, happier, healthier lifestyle even right now. Now, so far, what, what changes? We've been following BJ and, you know, as you know, with our filming him and of his good friend named Vasa. And tell us what are some of the transformations that have been taking place so far? Right. So living in that lifestyle, um, just to rewind a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, being a reggae artist in Hawaii, just to let you know, um, the group that I was a part of, I was a lead vocalist and the composer of the band. And we had the number one selling album in all of Hawaii in reggae music. Um, and a lot of our music went number one in Hawaii and also had the number one selling reggae album on iTunes. And we traveled along like the Marley's. Um, we traveled along with Lauren Hill. And so, yeah, so that lifestyle, actually, I gained weight. So one of the transformation things was I was really big. I was 219 pounds in the beginning of the program. Am I on now? And what, what program were you going to? I was going to, I, I actually entered the health program there at Weimar. Um, and that health program basically taught me some principles that the Bible teaches on health, the health message. And I practically applied those um, principles in my own life. And so um, is this the time to share about that transition? Yes. Yeah, okay, yourself. cool. Um, I started off at 219 pounds at 33% body fat. In my four months there, I've, I've lost 40 pounds. I went from 33% body fat down to 22% body fat. Um, I no longer have gout. I no longer have high blood pressure. I no longer have high cholesterol. Um, yeah, and I no longer am in that category of people who suffer from heart disease. You see, my family, every male in my family has died of heart disease before the age of 70. So that's the whole reason why I went there because I, I saw my life trending in that way. And so when I went through the program and completing it, I now no longer am in that category. Awesome.
Uh, basically what we're doing, so I'm, I live in a motorhome full time on the road producing the documentaries and so we've had an opportunity to be at Weimar and they have this four month health program that teaches not only about living a healthy lifestyle but how to share this healthy lifestyle with others, how to give, you know, share your faith and witnessing and so forth and it's been an awesome experience and we share this because we want to let you know it's not as if, oh, television is evil. Radio is the devil, right? No, God can use things for either his good, but yes, there's an enemy and he's going to do everything he can to use it for a negative purpose. But we can use these things to be a witness to the world around us. And actually, we can be a change for good, having people change their lifestyle, have a clearer mind so that they can accept the truth that we have been given. And so that's part of the aspect of why we do these things. We want people to be led in a good direction and we can use these things for God's purposes. Amen? Oh, do you still use your talents? Yes, yeah, so um, I've uh, left that group, um, the reggae group, and now I'm part of a Christian music group called Revelation of Hope Singers. And yeah, so now I get to travel kind of all over the place singing music for God now. Amen. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord for that testimony. Thank you, BJ. And we are talking about addiction in this session especially. The whole seminar is about media addiction, and I've gotten the question a number of times, which is a good question. And for the sake of time, I'm, we're hitting some of the most important information we can find that's in the full seminar, and we're getting it to you as quickly as we can. And you're wondering, well, how do I overcome my media addiction? What principles can I use to, to make sure to find more balance and to gain victory in my brain? Well, the answer to that is, on Sabbath, part six of the seminar. So we're laying out all the information about the effects of these media during these first sessions so that we can wake up, so that we can be aware of why we've gotten into the trap we are in and the nature of the trap. And come session six is the most important session you're going to attend. And that is the, the principles for overcoming the addictions that we found ourselves in, whether it's media or something else. In fact, you may be here this afternoon and you came to this session because you're interested in learning about the effects of media, uh, but you learned, oh, it's about gaming. Well, I'm not a gamer, you might say, and it's just not big for me. I want you to listen to the, the, the concepts of how addiction works in the brain this afternoon, because it may speak to you in an area in your life you didn't expect to get spoken to. You thought this was a safe one maybe to come to, and, and maybe, maybe I wouldn't have to deal with some issue, but God wants us to deal with our issues in the last days, whether they're media or something else. So I want to just pray one more time, ask the Lord to bless our, our analysis of this topic. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the, the words that you've given to us so far today, and we anticipate more messages from your Holy Spirit as we continue to move forward. We ask that your Spirit would rule and reign in this place, and that we would hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is a quotation from earlier this morning. I had a dot, 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 and I left some stuff out of it. Some of you who were here this morning might remember that. This is new to most of you, though. Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God, to so engross and absorb the mind that God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God, and if he can set in operation, what's that next word? Games. Games and theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all about them. He, Satan, is well pleased. 
games and theatrical performances. This morning, we took a moment to just pause and dwell on the incredible nature of that quotation that 114 years ago, we were warned as a people about theatrical performances. How harmful were those 114 years ago compared to today's media and entertainment? It's just a far cry from what we're experiencing today, but then there's this other part that I left out, which we're talking about this afternoon. Games. Games? 114 years ago, there was some objectionable quality to the games at that time. That is not our topic this afternoon, but I believe this statement to be prophetic because this warns us, God's last day people, that games will come in, confuse the senses, confuse the mind, eclipse the light of God. Is it possible that video games are the fulfillment of 2014's version of that quotation for us today. Let's take a look. Addiction. What is an addiction? An addiction is a compulsive behavior that brings short-term pleasure, but long-term what? Destruction. So you got to be careful with your use of this term. And it's not an addiction just because you have to do it. Are you addicted to breathing? No, you have to, but it doesn't make it an addiction. It's an addiction if it's harmful for you long-term. So let's take a look at what kinds of video games there are out there. What you see on the screen is the first video game system ever, the Magnavox Odyssey. How many of you played that old game Pong? Where are my old timers in here from the 70s? There we are. And um, so, <laughs> it's a young group. I only saw a few hands. But that old game was a simulation of what game? Yeah, ping pong or table tennis or, or, or tennis for two, whatever you want to call it. So the, 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 it, it was a game that you probably didn't stay up till four in the morning playing and then lose your job and ruin your family and all this kind of stuff that we're hearing about. It's not the kind of game we're talking about this afternoon. Another thing we're not talking about this afternoon when we say video games is maybe a simple little educational simulation. You're playing some math baseball or something like that. And this is not so much what we're talking about. Although it does concern me when I hear Jeffrey Takeman at Duke University say that the future of education is in the virtual world. All of the rewards and reinforcers that you get for, for learning will be taking place in games and simulated environments. That concerns me a little bit, but I think in moderation, this is not the kind of thing we're talking about this afternoon when we say video game addiction. Excuse me, another thing we're not talking about is like a, a, a learning how to fly a plane by using a simulator or learning how to do a surgery by using a simulator. These things, yeah, these things can actually help us learn skills that otherwise would be very dangerous to learn and you do it in a virtual environment. These are great things. We're going to hold it. Can you talk to me afterwards? Because we got to keep moving. It won't be on the audio. But moving along here, another thing we're not talking about is puzzle games and virtual motion games. Like if you're playing a little bit of a, a puzzle game that, that may be exercising the mind in a certain way, and it's not necessarily what we're talking about when we say video game addiction. They have a low-level addictive risk, but I should say, I had a lady come up to me after this slide and she said, Scott, you've got to warn people, even with those puzzle games, I'm playing video games, puzzle games, 60 hours a week, she told me. So every time I do this presentation, every weekend I say, you even need to be careful with something as simple and silly as that. Virtual motion games, I don't know anybody that's playing tennis on the Wii Fit till four in the morning either. It's not so much what we're talking about today. Although I don't advise like we do more and more of these things, but again, it's just not the topic for this afternoon when, when we say media addiction. What we are talking about is games with one of the following two things, violence and aggression or high addictive potential. 
anything with violence and aggression is obviously on a moral level going to be a concern for a Christian. I don't think you need me to say that simulating killing people on a screen is not the the uplifting Christ-centered activity that we should be engaged in. I, I don't need to spend any more time on it than that. But the high addictive potential is also a factor for us here. And such as games like a first-person shooter. Highly addictive, highly violent. A MMORPG, that's, that's a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. If you're uninitiated into the gaming jargon, that's going to be a little overwhelming for you. But basically, you're going on to an online world, and you're participating in a game in there with other players around the world, and there's usually some, some sort, of, sort of quest or, or aggression or domination that takes place in that game as well. Third, manage and control games. These are known as God games, also highly addictive. And the real-time strategy games of today, highly addictive. So it doesn't have to be blood and guts and gore in order for it to be addictive and dangerous and really sucking people's life away from them. So just keep that in mind with those categories as we move forward. I'm going to introduce you to three individuals who we're going to cite as some of the expert secular testimony here. On the top left, you see Philip Zimbardo. He's a sociologist. On the bottom, Kevin Roberts, a former gaming addict and a counselor of game addicts. He he counsels game addicts. And and Niels Clark here on the top right, he's probably the foremost expert on the issue of gaming addiction cited by the news and and brought onto the news programs and so on. Let me start with Philip Zimbardo. He talks about what he calls the demise of guys. I don't know if you've noticed today, but you look around and men are passive. Men are not what men once were. And he's found that boys are 30% more likely to drop out of school than girls. Girls now perform, outperform guys at all levels of education. Two-thirds of students in remedial programs are boys. They're five times more likely than girls to have ADD. And there's observed from sociologists a fear of intimacy, a social awkwardness among young men, especially with the opposite sex. That wasn't always to the extreme that it is today. He says here's the reason. They don't know the language of facial contact, body language, and these things because of three things. Excessive internet use, video gaming, and pornography. Stick around for subsequent sessions. We're going to touch on that last one just a little bit, but today mostly video gaming. Moving forward, why is there such a draw to gaming? You might not understand the gamer. You may not be a gamer and you have a family member who's playing these things for hours on end and you're just like scratching your head going, why? What's up with that? There are very good reasons. If you're in here and you're a gamer, you're a gaming addict, I, I, I don't want you to feel misunderstood. I want people to understand what it is. What are the dynamics in the game that got you so so immersed in that and addicted. And the first one is the, the game offers community and belonging. Whether it's a simulated social experience or it's, a, it's an online one with actual players from around the world, the brain gets tricked into thinking that you have a real interpersonal human connection. It's all virtual and sometimes it's, it's not even real, but the brain is tricked into thinking that there's an acceptance and a social group and a community when it's not. Also, when you look at the MMO, the massively multiplayer online game, I don't know if you know this, but the video games I grew up with, it was Nintendo, right? We'd turn the Nintendo on, we'd play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out or Super Mario or whatever for a little while, and then we'd turn the game off and Mario disappeared, right? Not so with today's games. They're always on. They're always going on in the virtual world, and so when you're not there, you're missing something. So if you're in that world, you're a part of a clan, you're a part of a guild, you're a part of a community, and you start saying things like, you know what, I think I want to cut down on my gaming time. How are your combatants, fellow guild members, going to feel about you? 
Uh, they're going to start uh, be being critical of you. This is from Niels Clark. He's a former gaming addict. He says, these are the kind of things I heard when I was trying to reduce my gaming time. I, they'd say things like, you got to be at the raid on Sunday. You're unbelievable. We just gave you the black breastplate of unholy raging fireballs. If you take that and leave, then I'll come to your house and kill you. That was his friend. His friend. They're not your friend. Your drinking buddies are not your friend. You try to get off of alcohol. Sorry, guys. I think going to the bar is actually destructive and immoral. Are they going to look at you the same way they did before you said that sentence? No. Same thing with the gaming addict buddies. They will unleash a torrent of abuse upon you like this, Niels Clark tells you. And some of you maybe have experienced that. Or if you haven't yet, you've got people that you think are your social connection, your friends, and it's not real. Your real friends are people that want the best, what's best for you. Achievement is another thing the game delivers. I mean, it gives you a feeling like you've accomplished something. It's the stuff of poetry and legends, unsurmountable feats and great accomplishments. But you know what? Actually, the game world is just tricking the brain into thinking you've accomplished something. All those victories were planned out for you. They were in the game. You beat that guy, that monster, that level, whatever it was, and it was designed for that to happen. Nothing has been accomplished. And this is why there's a sense of emptiness at the end of the day. For the, while you're in the middle of it, you're like, ah, yeah, it's the greatest accomplishments ever in the history of humanity. But then when you decompress and you come back to reality, it's why depression goes up for gamers. Because you're just going, wow, it's really not fulfilling in the end. It's also an escape. Kevin Roberts, in his counseling of gaming addicts, has found that 100% of them not all of these bullet points apply to all gamers, but this one does. He says 100% of the gaming addicts that he has counseled were escaping something in their real life that they didn't want to face and deal with. It's an escape hatch. Second, uh, fourthly, role-playing. You can, you can be somebody else. What a lure. What an idea. Here's, here's how the, uh, the, gaming, uh, ad, uh, the gaming systems advertise their games. PlayStation says... I live a double life, says the gamers. I set morality aside. Here's another one. Live the life you've always dreamed of without any risk or danger to yourself. So you might not feel like you're the most accomplished person. Maybe you even feel like a loser. Maybe a young lady feels unattractive or whatever. You can go into the game and you can be somebody amazing. You can be a hero. You can be this, this flirtatious, very popular kind of person that you, you want to take on these attributes in the real world, but you're not, you don't like who you are. This, again, isn't the case with every gamer, but many times it's fulfilling an identity that you want to have, but isn't taking place in the real world. And it's a counterfeit. It's an empty facade and shell. Again, reinforcement of aggression. We talked about the violence aspect. Well, a lot of people say, well, you know, I get frustrated, I'm mad, I'm upset about things, so I go blow away the enemy in modern warfare, and I'm just like, whew, I feel better. Call of Duty, whatever it is. I don't mean to name video games like those are the ones we should sell, and then they, all the others are safe. No, those are just examples. But uh, is it actually releasing aggression in a healthy way, like going out and chopping wood? Have you read that in the Spirit of Prophecy? Go out and chop wood, maybe, if you're feeling you know, a little anxious about something, a little uptight and angry about something. How about this? Hostility was increased both in subjects playing a highly aggressive video game and those playing a mildly aggressive video game. So this isn't a message where I go, as long as we can do away with Grand Theft Auto, we'll all be fine because if you're fighting in a moral war, you know, it's World War II, you know, you're this great hero, then it's good and moral and okay. No, no, no. Even mildly aggressive games will increase your levels of hostility, they've found in studies. Interesting. The latest brain research actually shows that violent games activate the anger center of the brain while dampening the conscience. Dampening the conscience. Is that something we want to do, we want to do as God's people in the last days? Or do we, do we want to have a more sensitive conscience? We don't want it dampened. We want it more sensitive. Another thing the game offers 
is competition, of course. And the game world is not the only place that delivers intense, hyper-competition. You may be finding this in the business world or in the sports world. We're going to talk about some of that later. But in the game, it's, it's the I'm going to beat you dynamic, right? It's I'm going to gain victory over you. You will be defeated at my, I will have victory at your expense. Who invented that principle? Satan, that was Lucifer. I, 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 I will ascend to the throne of God. And he was a what from the beginning? Yeah, a liar. I was thinking murderer, but he was both. A murderer from the beginning. A murderer. I'm going to step above you and on you, and you will be destroyed as so that I can ascend and be greater. Isn't that the I'm better than you, I'm going to beat you dynamic from the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven? And it's taking place every day in the gaming world, not just in the gaming world. It can take place anywhere. It can take place that she looks prettier than me and I want to be, you know, whatever. There's so many different ways we get competitive with our, with our, our, our very insecure minds. As long as I can gain victory in that game, I'll feel good about myself because I'm better than somebody else. What does the Bible say? Those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not wise to say I'm better than you. Discovery. These are the real genius gamers. By the way, if you've got a stereotype of gamers that they're like some sort of like, you know, failure at life kind of people, no, 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 gamers are the most intelligent people I know. They're extremely smart people. And these, especially these discovery-oriented gamers, they go into the game and they explore every inch of territory in the game. And some of you are some of them. And, and you're like, I'm going to find the hidden levels, the tricks and the cheats. And you, you get this experience of, yeah, you know, I, I discovered something. But did you? <laughs> or was it... The, if we discover things in the real world, we can contribute something. These guys have talents that God wants to use in a major way in the last days. Coming up with, with new ways of expressing Bible truth, evangelistic initiatives, maybe just technological things and other amazing discoveries that can be made in the real world. It's all being diverted into this other thing that's not real. Another thing the game offers is pleasure. Obviously, right? I mean, it's, it's fun. You, there, there are sexual things in the games. If you're an older person in here and you didn't know that, uh, this is not Pong. <laughs> this is a whole different kind of thing in the video games of today. You, you can go shopping. You can spend real money in the game. And, uh, and there's a lot of pleasures to be had. But last of all, and maybe this is the most important one, story. We are in the midst of a great story. That's what this whole conference is about, the great controversy. But the video game offers an alternative story, a counterfeit story, if you will, a made-up story that you go in and you are now in the midst of this epic struggle between the forces of good and evil. And you're going into to gain victory over the, the evil, whatever, and, and, and you now find yourself in this. It's like a fantasy novel or movie that's just so captivating. It's a story that grabs your attention. You know why it grabs our attention? Did God create us? to understand and be captivated by a story? He did, because we're in the midst of one. He has put eternity within the hearts of men. And when we get diverted onto this counterfeit story, we're missing out on what God has for you to do in his epic struggle between good and evil that's going on right now. Now, when we look back at this, this is nothing new with gaming. This goes back to the fantasy novels of ages past. J.R.R. Tolkien, probably one of the most famous fantasy novel writers, described what he called a secondary world. A secondary world that the human mind can step into and believe in. And he, he called it enchantment. That's a word from witchcraft, by the way. And he says you can enter into a dream that another mind is weaving. Does that sound a little creepy to anybody else? Enter into a dream that another mind is weaving. He believed it was literally a magical thing to create this, this fantasy for people to experience and also 
that the creator of this secondary world, Middle Earth or the video game or whatever it might be, the creator of this secondary world is following in the footsteps of the who? The creator. True or false? We should be like Jesus in character. Yes. Should we try to be the creator though? God created one world for us to live in and exist within. When we say, I am the writer of a fantasy novel, of a video game, of a movie, of a whatever it is, I am the creator of a new world. And does that like sound like somebody else who said he wanted to be in the position of the creator? Yeah, this is not something we need to be a part of. <laughs> Niels Clark, former gaming addict who I've been quoting, he says, when you go into that gaming world, this is a secular writer saying it casts a spell on you. It casts a spell on us. That's really something coming from a secular writer. There's something spiritual going on in the gaming world. It's not just as simple as I'm, I'm getting pleasure rewards for my brain. We will talk about addiction in just a minute. But, you know, the game developers, here's P. Siobhan Scott writing on this. She writes, game developers create the worlds in which people live. And in that way, they have close to God-like powers. And that makes me wonder, is game even an appropriate word anymore? Video game. You play ping pong or tennis, and then you play Pong. It's a video version of the game, right? But when you go into the online world, it's no longer just a game you're simulating. You're going and living in a secondary world, a counterfeit reality. It's no longer just a game. But I don't think it's just the game designers that have godlike power. Listen to the whisper of the serpent in this. This is amazing. This is, again, Niels Clark, a secular writer, writing about the experience of being in the game. Our minds are set free to explore and exercise heightened abilities and senses in a space that still looks and feels real. Games take our senses beyond the confines of reality. At the same time, those sensations allow the inflation and extension of our consciousness. Unique ways of being. Isn't that a lure? Isn't that a promise of something, a, a, a greater way of being human? Sounds like something that the snake would have offered to Eve in the garden. You can be more than God created to be. You can have experiences and consciousness beyond what God has created and the limitations of his world. You can go beyond the confines of God's reality. That's amazing. Now, when you're in the game, you might say, well, that's silly. Everybody knows it's just a game. You're not really experiencing something beyond the confines of reality. You know it's just on a screen. Not so. Steven Pinker tells us the visual system never learns that television is just a pane of glowing phosphor dots and the person never loses the illusion that there is a world behind the pain. So the visual system doesn't know how to discern reality from fantasy. When you're watching that movie, your brain thinks it's real. We learned about mirror neurons from Chad this morning. What you see with your eyes, your brain receives it as if it is your reality and experience. Same thing with the game. The human body can release a variety of chemicals. Responding to games as if they are a completely real physical experience. Visually, images seem to have the ability to immerse and enchant us with or without our permission. These are media that give experiences to our real eyes, ears, hearts, and brains. Experiences that professionals painstakingly design to be fun, breathtaking, and exhilarating. So we're escaping reality. We go into this counterfeit reality. We find all of our identity, our experiences, our pleasures, our accomplishments, our sense of uh, uh, that we are somebody in that game. But then you know what they're finding? When we come out of the game at, at Stockholm University and Nottingham Trent University, they found the game transfer phenomenon that players in the virtual world start blurring the lines between reality and fantasy in the real world. They start doing things as if they're still in the game. 
What a scary thought to think about when you look at the mass shooters. Is everybody who plays a video game going to become a mass shooter? Of course not. But would the mass shooters of today have been mass shooters if they weren't first gamers? It may not have happened. Because we know that we're blurring the lines between reality and fantasy. And people are starting to do things in the real world as if they are still in the game. We know that the military has poured millions of dollars into the, the, the violent games for a reason, right? Because it, it, it conditions, it, it, it desensitizes, it, it makes you a better soldier. And is that what we are training for? Are we trying to be fit up for heaven? Addictions. How do addictions take place? This is the, the part I promise to those who are not gamers. You may not be struggling with that issue, but I want you to understand how the brain works when it comes to addictions. First of all, you know about the, the chemical dopamine, right? Okay, good. Dopamine triggers the reward circuitry of the brain. So when you get dopamine into, hit into your reward circuitry, the, the circuit fires off and you, woohoo, you feel good about something. You feel like you've accomplished something. You have a pleasure. Now, the traditional way that people have abused their brain and body is through drugs, right? That, that chemically induce a dopamine surge in the brain. So if you were to take cocaine, you'd get a hit of dopamine and you'd feel great, like you accomplished something wonderful in life when really you didn't. But there's another way that they found dopamine is enhanced in the brain. And that is through a process or a behavior. Things like gambling, shopping, running up the credit card, eating super unhealthy foods, even risk-taking, extreme sports, all of these kinds of things. You can be a day trader. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we find to, whew, to get addicted to something. Maybe it's food, sex, risk-taking, accomplishment, acquisition of possessions. These things they are finding actually mirror the chemical addictions that we've been warning about for decades. What they found is whether it's a behavioral addiction or a chemical addiction, the same genes are involved. So the genes don't know the difference whether you're a pornography addict or a cocaine addict. The genes operate the same way on that level. And the game addict's brain, when thinking about the game, looks just like a drug addict's brain when thinking about the drug. What we're finding is the chemical addictions of old and the behavioral addictions that are now being studied are a lot more similar than we used to think. And we need to take the behavioral ones that much more seriously. I remember growing up in the 1980s, I'd open up my candy package that I got at the dime store and it would say, say no to drugs. There's some people here from the 80s. <laughs> say no. This was Nancy Reagan's big campaign. They did a good job of warning me about drugs. I never took a hit of cocaine as a, as a pretty rebellious youth. I, I was kind of scared to, to try drugs. And because they did a good job teaching me about the dangers of them. Are we doing the same thing with gaming, pornography, unhealthy food, all these other things that people are developing serious addictions to? BJ, would you say you were addicted to the unhealthy food? Yeah, obviously he said he was a drug addict, but the unhealthy food was an addiction for you, wasn't it? And many of you have been in that situation where you're like, man, I just can't help but eat it. Are we giving warnings to the people today about behavioral addictions as well? By the way, I have some good news for you. The good news is, here's your, here's your dopamine, um, those little balls on the screen are dopamine, that's a neurotransmitter, and these little cups that you see are dopamine receptors. So when the dopamine goes into the synapse there, the neuron will fire across the synapse since the neurotransmitter is in place. Did I just give everybody flashbacks to chemistry class? I apologize about that, or it's a biology class. Um, what, what happens is, when your brain gets flooded with dopamine, you watch that first pornography clip, you, 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 you take that first uh, drug, whatever it is, the brain goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, dopamine is so readily available here. It is, there's so much dopamine here. We don't need all these receptors. Do you see how, these, how two of them have shut down? There's only two receptors now. 
that's the bad news. As we mess up our dopamine regulation system, and all of a sudden we need more dopamine to get the same levels of pleasure. That sunset doesn't look so beautiful anymore. Your wife's smile just doesn't do anything to you because you're into the pornography, and you've messed up that dopamine regulation system. But the good news is this. They, t they put rats on cocaine, and they took them off the cocaine. Within two days, they were dopamine starved because they weren't getting their, their, their cocaine, right? Guess what? Their dop they start sprouting new dopamine receptors. The brain starts going back to normal when we come off of our addictive cycles, no matter what it is that we're struggling with. So there's some good news for you, but stick around for part six because you'll hear more about overcoming. But understand, here's, here's the bad news though. When it, that's, a, that's a chemical addiction. Within two days, you're starting to sprout new dopamine receptors. But with a food addiction, if you're on an unhealthy diet and you come off of that, it takes even longer to sprout new dopamine receptors. So I have a question. Are chemical addictions way more worse than behavioral addictions like food and gaming and, and, and pornography? Not any, we, don't, we don't believe that anymore as a people in, in, in today's society because we've seen enough evidence to the contrary. Now, why is gaming such a uniquely dangerous addiction? Number one, because it's socially acceptable. It's not looked at the same way as cocaine is. Secondly, there's an extreme novelty to the game. There's endless risk and reward in that game. I mean, you're going in there and it's just, it, it, it's experiences that never end. But it never ends in, in the following sense as well. There's no satiation mechanism. When you eat a bunch of food, eventually your stomach gets full. When you take drugs, eventually you'll OD if you take more. But with the game, you can just keep playing. There's no point at which your stomach is full. So you play all night. I've spoken to several individuals, and, and it becomes a problem long before this, but I've spoken with several individuals that would get home on a Friday afternoon, play the game all the way until Sunday morning with only a couple hours of sleep on Friday night and Saturday night, and all weekend. And they were holding down a job, but they were, their weekend was the game for, over, for, for 48 hours. And, and that's the cycle you get into because there's no satiation mechanism. We don't want to mess with this stuff. There are 19 million video gaming addicts in America today. 19 million. Do you know how many alcoholics there are? Only 12 million. And that's a lot. I shouldn't say only. There are 12 million alcoholics, and that is eclipsed by the 19 million video gaming addicts, according to the American Medical Association. So we are dealing with something very, very serious here. What time does this seminar end? 4.15. 4.15? Okay, thank you. I'm going to give you some quotations. This is, this is a little bit humorous. I find this, uh, this is Kevin Roberts, a former gaming addict. And if you find yourself saying some of these things, you might be a gaming addict. Oh, I'll just play for 15 minutes more. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. Once I get one of my characters to level 12, then I'll go to bed. Uh, <laughs> that's an excuse, he says. Oh, I'm just logging on to the game to see if I sold that intergalactic death ray. I'm not planning on playing. I'm just logging on to see how my economic transactions are going. Right. We make excuses, he says. Okay, here's how it goes. If I make it to the next level, then I'll feel more relaxed and I'll be able to sleep better. Otherwise, I would just stay up and not be able to, th to sleep because I'm thinking about the game. So I'm going to keep playing so I can sleep better. Oh, man. And is that the sun rising? Okay, I know my 15 minutes are up now, but I'm on such a roll. I can't stop now. This is the best I've ever done. I want to stop now, but I can't. The members of my clan are counting on me. It's so noble, isn't it? And by the way, there, there, there's, there's a good intention there, but when you back out from that and you look at reality again, is there a clan? There's not. It's not real, right? It's virtual. Yeah. 
here's one more. I must have had the time wrong because there's no way I've been playing for four hours. If you find yourself saying that, you just might be a gaming addict. Now, I don't mean this as a joke like you might be a redneck if. I mean this seriously. Let's look at the, the 20 question survey that, uh, that, that Kevin Roberts uses to diagnose a gaming addiction. It goes like this. Number one, if you are not able to tell how long you've been playing, that's a sign of an addiction. By the way, there's going to be 20, and if you can answer yes to four of these, he tells us that's what he's found as the, the measure for an addiction. If you can answer yes to four of these 20. If you find yourself lying about the game, disrupting sleep patterns because of the game, if you have intense cravings for the game, withdrawing from family or friends, losing interest in other things you used to enjoy, gaming for more than two hours a day the majority of the days of the week, declining performance in school or work, physical pain, blind to the negative consequences of the activity, buying things in the game with real money, playing, yeah, that's real, playing through mealtime, glorifying the game, having an emotional disturbance when the game is taken away. Mm, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? By the way, on that one, this will give you some hope, too. A lot of the overcoming stuff, again, is coming in, in part six. But um, I talked to a mom. I actually got an email from a mom. And she was dealing with her, with, her, with her 12-year-old, so younger than most of you guys in here. But it still gives us all hope because a human being is a human being. This kid was a total video gaming addict. And she, she had attended our seminar, and she was kind of waffling on it. But then she said, after he did something totally inappropriate, I'm just like, I've had it with this. She said I, she took the video game machine out, threw it in the garbage. And the kid absolutely flipped out. It was like a two-year-old temper tantrum, she said. And I don't even know who the kid is. I, I don't know the lady personally. She just emailed me. Um, and, and, and she said he was on the floor kicking and screaming and just flailing about like a madman. But two weeks later, she says uh, she, she came home from work, and she found him not only he actually did his chores, but he was doing things he didn't even need to do beyond what she, he had been asked to do. And he greeted her at the door and said, Welcome home, Mom. How was your day? And she says, I have a completely different child now. That video game had consumed him. It had conformed him to the pattern of this world, as would be the, the scriptural words for that. But now he's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you found emotional disturbance when something is taken away, if somebody tries to intervene and be like, come on, and you're all mad at them like they're trying to hurt you or do something bad to you, we know we might have a problem there. This is somebody who loves you. Mood swings, withdrawal symptoms after playing, Continued gaming despite serious real-life consequences. A persistent inability to cut down on gaming time. Oh, that's a big one. Increased time spent on the game over time. Or thinking often about the game when you're not playing. If you find yourself like so many people that I've spoken to about video gaming, I have had scores of people come to me and say, I used to be a video game addict. I, I think there's a lot of soon-to-be former video game addicts in here. You may be struggling with this now thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this thing. That game is just so awesome. I just, I just love it. You know what? If we love something so much that we think we couldn't give it up, is it possible that thing is an idol and it's an addiction? We need to get help. These people who came to me and said, I used to be a gaming addict, they're not people who just gritted their teeth one morning and said, I'm going to do this. They're people who sought help. More on that coming in part six. But let me continue on. Have you ever wondered, how do the game designers do it? How do they make their games so addictive? I mean, how do they get us to spend hours and hours of our time on this thing? Some of them have admitted it. 
Now you'll notice each one of these, it was in an anonymous interview because your game designer is not going to say, hi, I'm game designer so-and-so with such-and-such company and we are doing this to you. Okay, so these are anonymous interviews with journalists, but here's what one of them said. We make it just like gambling. That's how we design our game. Now most people don't have a very high view of casinos. We don't say, I want to be like a casino owner who's going to get people's money. I mean, the house always wins, right? But they want you to get a little victory at first, don't they? They want you to hear that change, and you're like, oh man, now you've got that dopamine release and you got that feeling of, oh man, I'm going to get rich. And so you start gambling more and more and more. And so you've got a gambling addiction. It's exactly the same way that video game artists, if you will, video game designers are doing it. They say, we make it just like gambling. So they give you a quick victory at first. You get something quick and easy at first and you start getting that reward circuitry in the brain that we were talking about, that dopamine hit. And then you need to work a little longer and a little harder to get that next hit, that next ding, if you will. To level up, it takes more efforts, more gilding, more, more, more acquiring of, of different uh, skills and, and spells and, and equipment and so on. And you've got to work hard to be able to acquire those things to get that next reward because you've now been conditioned to need that reward. Your brain thinks, by the way, that this is a survival issue. If you're addicted to something and somebody says to you, like me or a loved one, they say to you, God wants you to be free from that addiction. You know what that's telling to the addict's brain? You might die. That's a serious, whoa, like, I need it. We think we need it to survive. The brain has been totally rewired and tricked and it's captive. This is why an addict needs to get help. Another anonymous game designer, how they make it so addicting. One anonymous game designer discussed with journalists the principle that Madison Avenue uses called the blink rate. Now Madison Avenue is what? That's the advertising industry, if you didn't know that. Madison Avenue is the advertisers, and we studied them this morning. We know that the advertising industry is basically people trying to get you to buy their, their stuff that's not good for you, and it will destroy your health, and they get to, make, get, to get, get to get rich. And so, obviously, we don't have a high view of what's happening in the advertising industry, seeking to manipulate, and all those things we talked about this morning. For a game designer to admit and say, we are doing it like at Madison Avenue, again, it's not raising the bar very high. It's saying, here's what we're doing. We're getting people to get their blink rate to slow down, just like an ad. Their pupils dilate, just like they're watching a commercial. They're zoned in, just like you see that kid there. And you know what? This is a process that produces dopamine. So they know exactly what they're doing. Am I saying that we should wage a culture war against the game designers of America and they're all these evil people? No, I'm not. But we don't need to play their games. We don't need to do what it is that's being put out there to not help us draw closer to Jesus, but to do the opposite, right? Another uh, anonymous game designer, actually the same one, said, the job of video game design is all about the dynamics of using adrenaline. The easiest way to get a player to feel that adrenaline rush is to make him think he's about to die. I mean, they could do this even back with Mario. You know, you're jumping from one of the, from one of the blocks to another, and you're like, whoa! I almost fell in the pit and your brain is going, whoa, I almost died. And you get this adrenaline rush, it becomes highly addictive. And this is how they do it and they know exactly what they're doing. There's no doubt about it. Now, Pediatrics is, is a, a scientific journal and in 2011, they did a study. By the way, there haven't been as many studies done on video gaming and this is why you know, I had two whole slides this morning on television with all these bullet points. Television's been around for a while, right? But video games as we know them today 
are not much more than a decade old. And so the studies, the residual effects of these things, we are still coming to terms with how big of a problem it is. In every study that comes out, we're seeing things like this. We see the effects of pathological gaming. They say these things don't just... Uh, it's not just gamers who have these things already are drawn to gaming. No, no, no. The gaming is causing depression, anxiety, and social phobias. So we're looking at serious scientific emotional consequences the more that we do these games. Another study that was done just a little over a year ago, this is a fascinating one, they took gamers, <coughs> excuse me, and they had them play a video game for only one week, and they only had them play for 10 hours in that one week. Now, if you're not a game, you're going, 10 hours, that's a lot of time. I know it's, it is a lot of time, but compared to the 5 million Americans who are playing how much? Do you remember from this morning? 40 hours a week. 5 million Americans are playing 40 hours of video games per week. So this 10-hour amount, they, they, they measured a very low amount of video games. 10 hours a week of a violent video game, uh, 10 hours in only one week. They looked at brain activity before the game began, and they looked at brain activity after the, the week was over. And guess what they found? They found brain damage. They found a weaker prefrontal cortex after only one week of gaming and only 10 hours. We have a culture of, of millions playing hour after hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year for a developing brain. This is going to have serious consequences that we don't even have a clue about yet as a society. We know it's big, that's all we know. Only 10 hours damage the prefrontal cortex. They now have a weaker prefrontal cortex, which is the most important area of the frontal lobe where all of these spiritual executive center functions take place. Your, your self-control, your reasoning powers, all of these are prefrontal. And it's weakened and damaged by just a week of gaming for only 10 hours. I can't stress that study enough. That's probably the most powerful study I've seen on the issue of video gaming. Now, you will find out there a lot of arguments on the supposed benefits of gaming. In the full seminar, I normally go through every single one of the supposed benefits of gaming. And what you'll find is basically what, what uh, Christine Rosen says is spot on. She's a Harvard professor. She says to find the good in gaming often requires strenuous leaps of logic because you have to, you have to deny everything we've seen up until this point. And the things that are supposedly beneficial about video gaming, I'm not talking about a surgery simulator and things like that. I'm talking about the standard kind of gaming we're mentioning here. Every single supposed benefit that I've, that I've read, I always read the other side of things. I don't want to have, have a bias. And I, I go into it, I, okay, what are the supposed benefits? Every one of them either is not a benefit. <laughs> it's like, it will train you to be a better soldier. How is that a benefit? I guess if you want to do that for your living, but you know, with my kids, I don't think so. Um, it's either not a benefit or, secondly, the supposed benefit can just as well be attained in the real world without all the addictive risks, without all the brain-damaging effects, without, without the, the risk of losing your life to these things and, and, and ending up living in this counterfeit reality. I agree with her statement. Now, I also have, before I give you that one, I want to share a quotation with you briefly. And um, this, this was at the end of the music one, so it relates to music, but it's perfect for our, our session right now as well. And I just ran out of time during the music session. As you noticed, I was going very, very quickly at the end. But this is a quotation from Review and Herald, May 4, 1897, paragraph 10. What we read is the following. If we do not receive the religion of Christ by feeding upon the Word of God. Have you heard Chad a couple of times talk about reading the Word of God 
Is that the most important thing we can be doing with our time? Absolutely. But we're at 25 to 1. If you missed the, uh, the first session this morning, the ratio of Adventist youth, media consumption versus spiritual disciplines of, of Bible study and prayer is a 25 to 1 ratio of TV and movies and video gaming to Bible study and prayer. 25 to 1. We're way out of balance on this. Studying God's Word. If we do not receive the religion of Christ by feeding upon the Word of God, we shall not be entitled into an entrance into the city of God. Having lived on earthly food. On what kind of food? Earthly. earthly. Have we been talking about some earthly food today? Yeah, we're living on this stuff, isn't it? It's our media diet. Having lived on earthly food, having educated our tastes to love worldly things, we would not be fitted for the heavenly courts. We could not appreciate the pure heavenly current that circulates in heaven. The voices of the angels and the music of their harps would not satisfy us. Let me pause right there. Since we ran out of time on the music, if you weren't here for the music thing, I want you to hear everything that we have to share on music. Make sure to get the DVDs in the exhibit hall. But for those who were here, you, we looked at this stimulating music, this highly you know, energizing music to the brain. Satan's using this music to engross and charm the mind. He knows which organs to excite. All these quotations from the Spirit of Prophecy tell us that there is a kind of music, not just video games, not just TV. There is a style and a kind of music, and not the lyrics, the style of the music, that is doing something to us that is going to make it so that when we get to heaven, we would not, if we were there, we would not appreciate the voices of the angels and the music of the harps. It wouldn't satisfy us. Are you hearing dopamine in that, right? I mean, we've gotten so addicted. We, we need the stimulation. Our dopamine regulation system is all off, and so that we feel we need the enticing and stimulating pleasures of this world delivered to us by the entertainment media to the point where when Jesus comes again, we go, oh, I guess I should have thought about that stuff, and people will be lost because they have not fed upon the Word of God, they have fed upon earthly food, and the music up there, eh, it's boring music. I'm not interested in that kind of, they wouldn't even like it in heaven. In the music session, we heard Chad and Fadia both talk about how God retrains our taste buds, our musical tastes. I, I agree completely with them. It was my experience, too. I played in a rock band. I was all into the rock music. When I, got, when I was first becoming a Christian, it was all about the Christian rock and pop and gospel and all of these stimulating music that we listened to. And I'll tell you something. I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand hymns, classical music. This stuff was so distasteful to me. And this quotation is speaking something to me, and I believe it's speaking something to God's people in the last days, because this is inspired stuff. There is a lifestyle we live in 2014 that will make it or break it for us. It says we will not be entitled to an entrance in the city of God. Why? Because is God arbitrary? Is he like, you, you watch that and I don't like you anymore? That's, no, no. This is just an observation of reality. If we are being fitted and trained and conditioned for the heaven real, heavenly reality, then we'll love it there. But if we're feeding on earthly food, we would not like it there at all. The music would not be pleasing to us. The si reading on in the quotation now, to finish, the science of heaven would be as an enigma to our minds. We need, brothers and sisters, here's your charge, here's your challenge. We need to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ, which is attained by what? Our works or our faith? Our faith. 
The works follow. The fruit follows. We don't, we don't say, I'm going to become a good Christian by my own works. No, we seek the righteousness of Christ that He implants within us and becomes a reality as He transforms our minds and changes us. We need to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ. We need to be molded and fashioned by the transforming influence of His grace that we may be fitted for the society of heavenly angels. Our scripture text for today has been Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, whether it's our music, our movies, whether it's our, 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 our gaming, or anything else. God wants to do a work in you to transform you and fit you for heaven. It's not about getting into heaven. It's about fitting into heaven. Did you want to share something? We're going to close in prayer. I, I want to challenge everybody. We're at the end of our day today. And we've been through four sessions. Many of you have been through four sessions with us. And you're at the beginning of the new year. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? All right, a few. I, I want to talk less now about giving things up and talk more about what are we going to replace it with. How many of you in here want to make a decided effort to live out this quotation in your life to be transformed by the righteousness of Christ? Put a hand in the air if you want that for your 2014. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Put them down. How many of you have some form of media in your life that you think might be an impediment and a stumbling block between you and your Savior? That's, that's a lot of us. And, and me too, by the way. I'm making a resolution to be on my computer less. I use these things for good purposes, but sometimes I'm on it just way too long. Maybe we need to just ask simple questions like that. Or maybe you're just struggling with a musical style that you know is not holy. Or you're a gaming addict or something that's clearly more immoral, addictive, and, and satanic even in the media. And those hands that went up, I want to challenge you guys to make a decision. Right now we're going to have a time of prayer. And I want us to hear the voice of God. So set aside everything else. Don't worry about where we're going after this, what time it is, what we're going to do later. Hear the voice of God speaking to you in the silence. I'm going to leave a, a moment of silence that we might talk it over with God. Lord, what do I need to give up in 2014? And what do I need to replace it with? The Word of God. Make, it, make a decision about the amount, the timing, the when, the where. Be specific. Make goals as we close today. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for the promise that when we get into Your Word and we seek You by faith, that You will, you will change us. You will transform us. Your righteousness will become ours. Father, we know that we've gotten ourselves into an addictive cycle, into trap. And there are many in here wondering how to get out. Lord, I pray that you would show the way, that, that as we continue in the seminar in part six and talking about overcoming these things, I pray that you would give people the courage to seek help. If somebody in here is struggling with a, with a serious gaming addiction, just give them the courage to get help. And Lord, help us to continue as we, as we go through the seminar to be willing to be vulnerable before you, open before you to receive the impressions of your spirit. And Lord, right now, as we leave just a moment of silence, we ask you to, to speak to each heart as we all pray to you individually about our 2014, about what we may need to give up and what we need to replace it with. Give us an insight on how to be specific about where we will read our Bibles, when, for how much, for what methods and purposes. Lord, we thank you for speaking even now. Father, I pray that you would seal these decisions 
that you would bind the devil. He's not going to be happy about the fact that people are coming freed from these addictions and seeking you. And Lord, we know that you, you will make the devil flee from us as we are in submission to you. And so I just pray for, for power, for strength, and for your spirit upon every soul in here as we face this new year. Lord, we don't know how much time we have left, and we just ask that you would encourage each and every person that we know as well to follow the examples that we are setting as, as you lead us. That They might not look at us as if we are uh, weird and different but in, a, in, a, in an untactful un, uh, way, but Father, give us, I pray, a, a winsome approach with, as we share these messages with others. Help us not to make this out to seem like some sort of doom and gloom situation but Lord we know that you have hope for us and that you have a better life for us and I just pray for your spirit upon every soul as we depart from here and meet again tomorrow in Jesus name Amen This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh Day Adventist Church seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant Bible based and Christ centered Christians to download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.